2 Peter 3.18. We're continuing to look at spiritual growth. And this sermon shows us another key that will help us glorify God and to grow spiritually. That key is confessing our sins. All Christians are in the process of spiritual growth, regardless of how long they've been saved. It's just the nature of who we are. Some Christians grow slowly. Some Christians grow quickly. The desire of every Christian, though, is to become what God wants for us, what the Savior wants for us. That should be the ultimate goal. I think the master key of spiritual growth is the glory of God. We've talked about that last two times. Christians uh, grow most when we are focused on living for God's glory, when we pay attention to what He wants. So in this series, the message is titled, Keys to Spiritual Growth, we're searching for scriptures for practical ways to live for the glory of God and therefore to grow spiritually. So the foundational text that we have is 2 Peter 3.18, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, to Him be glory both now and forever. Amen. The minister was walking down the street when he came across a group of about a dozen boys somewhere between the ages of 10 and 12 uh, years old. And they were surrounding an old dog. He was concerned that the boys were going to hurt the animals, so he went over and asked, what are you doing with the dog, boys? And they said, well, this dog is just an old stray and we all want him, uh, but but only one of us can take him home. So we've decided that whoever told the biggest lie could take the dog home. The minister was, you know, taken aback. Uh, a, a lie? Don't you know that, you know, telling lies is wrong? I mean, a contest to, to tell a lie. I mean, telling a lie is a sin. And so he launched in the 10-minute mini-sermon to these 10- and 12-year-olds about the, the, the badness of telling lies. And then he said, when I was your age, I never told a lie. And all of a sudden, everybody said, oh, well, we give up. You get the dog. <laughs> I think whether telling a lie or struggling with pride or giving in to anger or toying with lust or dabbling with pornography, is which we see so much of today, or wasting our resources or dishonoring our parents or even our children, we all sin. But in order to grow spiritually, we need to learn how to confess our sins. It's just part of it. So today I want to look at another key I think that will help us glorify and grow spiritually. That key is confessing our sins. Confessing our sins is an expression of humility, and it's a major key to spiritual growth. But it is difficult to do. It is hard to admit a mistake. At least it is for many people. Once when Frederick II, an 18th century king of Prussia, went on an, a tour, an inspection of a Berlin prison, he was greeted with the cries of the prisoners who fell on their knees and protested the unjust treatment that they were uh, innocent of the crimes in which they had been accused. Frederick was looking through the audience of all these people, and he caught an eye of a solitary figure in the corner of the prison, a prisoner who seemingly was unconcerned with all the commotion and certainly with the Prussian king. Uh, he was all by himself. So the king went over to talk with him. He said, why are you here? He said, armed robbery, your majesty. He said, oh, really, are you guilty? He said, oh, oh yes, indeed I am. 
Your Majesty, I deserve my punishment. At that, it is said that Frederick summoned the jailer and he said, Release this guilty man at once. I will not have him kept in the same prison where he will corrupt all these other fine, innocent people who I've met today. I think we're prone to shift our guilt and responsibility for our sin away from ourselves. It's the nature of who we are as people. I mean, it happened in the garden, didn't it? We blame others for our circumstances, our environment, or just because the other people are near us, it's their fault. I think in so doing, we fail to glorify God. We don't take responsibility. We fail to grow spiritually when we don't acknowledge our sinfulness. So as we go quickly through this tonight, I, first of all, I want to take the first point, which is confession of sin. Illustrated. I want to give you a couple of illustrations. Uh, we want to look at two in, in the Bible. The first is Achan. Uh, you may know the story of Achan in Joshua 7. It shows how confession of sin glorifies God. You remember the story, he took the gold, he hid it. Uh, Moses had forfeited his right to enter the promised land by disobeying God at the rock. You remember that in Numbers. So Joshua led the children of Israel to their first great victory at Jericho. Blow the trumpets, walls come stumbling down. Beforehand, though, he cautioned them not to take any spoils from the city. Uh, the process is called sharem, or harem, if you want to pronounce it the way Hebrews do with a little phlegm in there. And it means to destroy everything and nothing is taken. It's an offering for God. So all of it is destroyed and not taken as a spoil. But you know the story that Achan took some of the spoils from the city, and as a result, in the next battle, Israel was defeated because of the sin of one man in the camp who didn't obey God. When Joshua found out about Achan's sin, he said to him, My son, give glory to the Lord, the God of Israel, and give him the praise. Tell me what you have done. Do not hide it from me. Joshua 7.19 says that Joshua told Achan to glorify God by confessing his sin. Doesn't that sound strange? <laughs> to glorify God by confessing my sin. But that's exactly what he was told to do. And Achan replied, it is true. I have sinned against the Lord, the God of Israel. This is what I have done. He says in verse 20 of chapter 7. You read on verses 24 and 25. Uh, tells us that Joshua, together with Israel, took Achan, the son of Zerah, and the silver and the robe and the gold wedge and all that had been taken, his sons and daughters, his cattle, his donkey, his sheep, his tent, and all that he had to the valley of Achor. And Joshua said, Why have you brought this trouble on us? The Lord will bring trouble on you today. Then all of Israel stoned him, and Achan was punished, even though he confessed his sins. It is impossible to note that confession of sin doesn't eliminate chastening. We need to pay attention to that. Just because we confess our sin doesn't mean we're going to be eliminated from that. For example, David confessed his sin in Psalm 32 and 51, but it didn't eliminate the consequences for him. He still suffered because of what happened. If you remember, the baby died. And he said, in Psalm 51, against you and you only have I sinned. But obviously we know that wasn't just 
him, but it was the recognition that he had broken God's law. After Israel stoned Achan and his family, they burned them over. Over Achan had heaped up a large pile of rocks, and that remains to this day, it said. And then the Lord turned from the fierce anger. Therefore, that place has been called the Valley of Achor ever since. If you look at the slide, you see that Achor means trouble. Why have you troubled the nation this day? And so they named it Trouble. If you disobey me, there will be severe consequences, is what God is saying to Israel. Achan and his family evidently were implicated in this crime. You see that. Uh, I'm sure they knew about it. And instead of coming and confessing what had happened, they hid it along with Achan. And they were all put to death. Why did Joshua want Achan to confess his sin? Why do that? Because God would have looked like a cruel ogre if he had taken the life of a man without anyone knowing why he did. The people needed to know why this was happening. And so he needed to confess that. And Achan confessed his sin. He was saying, in effect, God, you have every right to punish me because of what I have done. I deserve it. And I think that's one reason why confession brings glory to God. When God chastens us for our sin which he must do because he is holy, he is seen to be fair in the eyes of the world, the others around us, because we admit that we deserved the chastening. Whom he loveth, he also chasteneth, the Bible says. Achan said, I have sinned against the Lord God of Israel. He didn't blame God. He didn't blame his circumstances. He didn't blame others, but rather accepted responsibility for his own sin. That's Achan. Another illustration. The thief on the cross. The second illustration of the confession I think is good for us to look at is the thief on the cross. The thief who hung on the cross beside Jesus had dishonored God his entire life. He was obviously known to be a thief. But in his last moments, he gave glory to God. In Luke chapter 23, 41, it is said to the other thief, We are punished justly for what we are getting for our deeds. We deserve the thief realized that God was righteous in his judgment. And he confessed that as he died on the cross. He confessed Jesus on that cross, but he didn't get taken down at that moment. He died because of what he had done. There were consequences for his sin. Whenever, whenever we excuse sin, overlook it, make it trite, uh, gloss it over, paint over it, we're blaming God. We blame him when it's us who's at blame. Adam did that when he questioned God about eating forbidden fruit. The woman you put here, you gave me, she gave me the fruit from that tree and I ate it. This is your fault, God, is what Adam is saying. And that woman, <laughs> he blamed both of them. Adam didn't accept responsibility for his sin, but he blamed God and who had given him Eve and thereby Eve as well. Since sin is never God's fault, nor is it the fault of another person or circumstances, God doesn't bring that into our life. It's us. We excuse sin, and that impugns God's character and his nature, makes him less than holy. 
And it looks, again, as he chastens us, that he's unfair in some way. And some people do, you know, see God as capricious. But see, we don't have the whole story, do we? Because the people who are being chastened are not being honest sometimes about their life. Pardon me. Confession of sin is essential to spiritual growth. When you openly face the reality of your sin and confess it, you then have less dead weight to drag you down in the process of growth. Hebrews 12.1 says this, Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Our spiritual growth increases as the weight of sin drops off through confession. Let's look at the second point. Confession of sin described. We've seen it illustrated uh, with those two illustrations, Achan and the thief on the cross. Now let's look at something else. Let me describe confession of sin and the elements that I can pick out for us tonight. First of all, examining ourselves. I think first confession of sin begins by examining ourselves. Psalm 66, 18 says... If I had cherished sin in my heart, the Lord would have not listened. If I keep something, I cherish, you know, hold on to it in my heart, then God's not going to listen to me. I'm not going to grow spiritually. I can't even commune with God if I'm harboring some unconfessed sin in my heart, let alone grow spiritually. So there must be some regular examination of my life. I have to look at myself periodically Uh, uh, hopefully on a daily basis to see if I'm cherishing sin in my heart. Am I holding on to something that I'm not willing to let go of? London held its breath in June 1987 while working on a building site. A construction foreman uh, thought his workers had hit a cast iron pipe while using a pile driver. After picking up and dropping the huge object, they realized the pipe was a bomb. It was a 2,200-pound bomb from World War II, a German Nazi bomb that had been dropped in the Blitzkrieg of London, one of the largest German bombs that had been dropped on those, at that time, 15,000 Londoners. After evacuating the area, a 10-man bomb disposal team came and worked 18 hours before deactivating the seven-foot device. Can you imagine? How would you like to have been the guy that dropped that pipe <laughs> It was just a pipe, only to realize it was a bomb. I think unconfessed sin is like that bomb, that unexploded bomb. It can rest in the heart of an individual for years or in a church, and unless it's deactivated through confession, it can detonate and cause great damage. That happens when we do not confess our sins. We should especially examine our hearts for unconfessed sins. I think two instances. First, we should examine ourselves uh, in response to chastening. If I'm being chastened, maybe I should go, what's going on? (laughs) Why am I being chastened? Why is this happening to me? Have I held on to something I should have let go of? So part of that examination is saying, if I'm being chastened by God, what is it that I may have done that I'm not willing to admit that I've glossed over? We have to be willing to accept God's chastening God chastens us so we don't repeat the same mistakes. We learn from those. Often chastening is an indication that we need to examine our lives. 
And I think of Jonah when I think of that, uh, who understood clearly the will of God, and yet he ran away from the Lord and headed toward Joppa in order to catch a ship that was bound for Tarshish, Jonah 1.3. While at sea, a terrible storm, you know the story came up, and he's in the midst, and Jonah realized the sin, he was responsible for the storm, and he had all the sailors throw him overboard into the raging sea, and when it did, it calmed because he recognized it was his fault. And he didn't want them to suffer for his sin. He looked at the chastening and recognized it was him. The second thing you can think of, we should especially examine ourselves in response to guilt. Why I feel guilty. God's placed a system of guilt within us, an attitude, a conscience, if you want to use that word. And that a spiritual life without guilt would be like a physical life without pain. I mean... You've, you've heard of those people who don't feel pain, and that's one of the things that happens with someone with leprosy. The, the sensation on their fingers and arms and elbows and feet is gone. And so they continue to damage and rub and abuse. And sometimes it's not just a, the disease of leprosy. It is literally they're wearing away their bones because they can't feel anything. It's that deadening sensation causes that we have pain for a reason to warn us that something is wrong and and when we feel the pain of guilt we can say god i know that this sin is against you and it's my fault and i don't want to do it again give me strength to walk another path so that i can avoid this guilt and this sin and that admission has to be a part of our lives before we can grow spiritually for it acknowledges the the sin that is holding us back. So I, I examine myself and I look at it in the sense of why am I being chastised? And second, I look at myself and examine myself to see the guilt that I feel. Now, some, some guilt is not real. Some people put more on themselves than they really need. I've met those people. Uh, but nine times out of ten, we feel guilty because we're guilty. We've done something. We've said something. We've not done something. And so we need to own up to our guilt and examine what it is. B, taking responsibility. I think confession of sin includes taking responsibility, examining ourselves, and then taking responsibility for what we've examined. As long as you're making excuses for your sin, you'll never grow spiritually. If I'm making, you know, if, if I'm saying it's okay for me to do that because... It's all right for me to steal because. It's all right for me to cheat because. It's all right for me to lie because. It's not a big lie. It's not a big amount. It's, you know, we make excuses why it would be okay to do that. In Chuck Colson's book, Born Again, I don't know if you remember that book. It's a number of years gone by. He talks about his conversion experience because of Watergate. You remember the story that happened. Colson shares one of President Nixon's problems. He could never admit he was wrong about anything. Anything. He's just one of those people, he, he, couldn't, he couldn't admit he was wrong. Colson said, in fact, that when Nixon obviously had a cold, a runny nose, a red face, sneezing, and all the symptoms of the cold, he would never admit he had a cold. I mean, that kind of behavior is bizarre, isn't it? But yet, that's what we do when we do not take responsibility for our sins. 
for our life to have a decreasing frequency of sin and to grow spiritually, we have to acknowledge that we have sin. We don't blame our circumstances or our husband or our wife or boyfriend or girlfriend or boss or employees or your pastor. You don't even blame the devil. Remember that from the 70s? Devil made me do it. You know? Skip, what was his name? I'm trying to think. Yeah, Flip Wilson. Flip Wilson. The devil made me do it. It's not the devil's fault. Certainly anyone or anything can tempt you, but ultimately sin is your responsibility because you act on it with your will. Because you've acted on it, you're responsible for it. You know, there's a lot of scriptures of people taking responsibility for their sin, but perhaps the best example I know of is the prodigal son when he came back to the father. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to my father. So when he, when he got home, he said, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you, Luke 15, 21. He was even willing to treat and be treated as a humble servant because he knew he didn't deserve anything. You know, he's going to say, I am no more willing to be called your son. Dad stops him and says, bring the robe, bring it. Because he, he took responsibility for his sin. Confession is acknowledging that your sin is your own responsibility and no one's else. He didn't blame his brother. He didn't blame the people he, he worked for. He didn't blame the people that cheated him out of his money. No, he blamed himself. See, taking sin seriously. I think thirdly in this idea of, of taking stock of this, is the confession of sin takes seriously what has happened. It acknowledges that wrong actions are sin and they are an affront to God and his holiness. Luke 18, 13 is a wonderful example of the tax collector uh, taking his sin seriously. Jesus said, but tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God have mercy on me, a sinner. As opposed to the other guy, he points at him and says, I thank you, I'm not like the sinner here. In a painfully honest book of his own life, W.E. Sangster wrote a journal of what it was like to be a minister. His spiritual passion had, had gone away. He had languished, growing spiritually. He was just going through the movements of being a minister. And one day he finally took stock and he began to write down in the journal what he felt and what he thought. Here's some of the things that he said. I'm irritable and easily put out. I'm impatient with my wife and children. I am deceitful and I often express private annoyance when a caller is announced to s and simulate pleasure when actually greet them. <laughs> We've never done that, have we? <laughs> From examination of my heart, I conclude that most of my study has been cruelly ambitious that I wanted degrees more than knowledge and praise rather than equipment for service. Even in my preaching, I fear that I am more often wondering what people will think of me rather than what they think about my Lord and his word. I have long felt in a vague way that something was hindering my effectiveness of my ministry, and I must conclude that the something is my failure in living the truly Christian life. I am driven in pain to conclude that the girl who has lived as a maid in my house for more than three years has not felt drawn to the Christian life because of me. What a thing to say. Recognize of yourself. And finally, I find slight envy in my heart at the greater success of young ministers. I seem to match myself with them and thought that I am vaguely jealous when they attract more notice 
than I do. He was honest with himself. He recognized his sin. Confession means taking sin seriously. He put the blame on himself and recognized that to grow spiritually, I need to accept this because if I don't, it will retard my process of spiritual growth. D, agreeing with God. Confession of sin includes agreeing with God. I, I, I learned this a long time ago, and I think it's just, it's a beautiful picture uh, of the Greek, what it means. The Greek word translated to confess, if I confess my sins, it's faithful and just forgive my sins. That word confess. is homo legeo. Homo legeo. Legeo means to speak. Logos, the word, it's that same, it's from that same root word, to speak. Homo means the same, as in homogeneous. So homo legeo means to speak the same thing, or to speak the same. Confessing your sin is saying the same thing about your sin that God says about it. I agree with you. When I confess, I'm agreeing with God that what I've done is wrong. So 1 John 1, 9, if we confess, homo legeo, uh, our sins, if I agree with God, it's sin. He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to purify us from all unrighteousness. That's why it's so important to recognize, understand, evaluate that sin, look at what God says about it, and then turn to God in prayer and say, God, I agree with you. What I've done, this, this, what I've done is sin. I agree with you, God. It's wrong. First John was written to define and to help see the difference between Christian and non-Christian. That's what verse 9 was about. But listen to verse 10. If we claim that we have not sinned, we make him, God, out to be a liar. And his word has no place in our lives. See, that's why you can't grow. Because I, I can't receive the word. I ignore what God has said. A true Christian recognizes sin and accepts responsibility for it, takes seriously, agrees with God that is indeed sin. Confession of sin doesn't take place only at conversion. Not just at conversion do I admit that I'm a sinner. I'm a sinner still. And so I have to confess on a daily basis those things that, that are sin to God. I don't try to water it down. I don't try to minimize it. I'm not like the man uh, that wrote the IRS. Dear gentlemen, enclosed you'll find a check for $150. I cheated on my income tax last year and have not been able to sleep ever since. I still have trouble sleeping. If I still have trouble sleeping after this check is cashed, I will consider sending the full amount. <laughs> we do that to God, don't we? Just part of it. Maybe if I just confess a little bit, God will leave me alone. But it's the entirety that God is concerned about. There are not varying degrees of confession. Confession is full confession or not confession. I admit everything or I admit nothing. I make full confession to God when I pray. E, repenting of our sin. Finally, confession of sin involves or leads to or should lead to repentance of sin. Many times we don't confess our sin because we're not ready to let go of it. It's something I want to hold on to. There's no such thing as true confession without repentance. If I don't stop doing what I confessed, I really haven't asked God to forgive me or agreed with him because I'm still doing it. 
There's a cartoon several years ago in Saturday, uh, Saturday Review in literature in which little George Washington was standing with an axe, you know, behind his back. And lying on the ground was the famous cherry tree. And he had already made his smug admission, I did it. I cannot tell a lie. But his father was standing there exasperated. And he said, all right, so you admit it. You always admit it. The question is, when are you going to stop doing it? And I think that's what God says to us. You've admitted it. When are you going to stop doing it? I think we betray a lack of spiritual maturity when we want to eliminate the penalty of sin but retain the pleasure of sin. I mean, Bible recognizes that there's pleasure in sin for a season. But it doesn't deny that sin can be pleasurable. The problem is it's harmful to us. It might be pleasurable for a little while, a season, but ultimately it inhibits and deters, retards our growth spiritually. For confession to be genuine, we must turn from our sins in repentance. So, wrapping it up for tonight. Confessing our sins is one of the keys to glorifying God in spiritual growth. So ask yourself these questions. Am I examining my life regularly to see if there is any sin in my life? Am I taking responsibility for my sin? Am I taking sin seriously? Do I agree with God that my sin is in fact sin? And am I repenting of that sin? All those things have to be done for sin to be dealt with, truly dealt with. So let us confess our sins that we, like these who we've talked about, can glorify God, and can move forward and develop. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we come to you and we thank you for your word and how it leads us. We want to grow in grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We want him to have glory now and forever. And we recognize our part in that is that we need to admit the sins that we have, that the Bible says, so easily besets us. We need to throw off, as Hebrews 12 says, and take up that which you have for us to grow and to mature. Forgive us when we have failed miserably. Forgive us when we've lied to ourselves. Help us to be better, we pray in Jesus' holy name. Amen.